Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. It's a sunny day, and I wish I had nothing to do, Ton. So many things to do this time of year, especially in the garden. Uh, one of those is harvesting vegetables and fruits and uh, storing them properly. So we want to start the morning and talk about that. Well, a lot of calls are coming in to the extension offices asking, how do I know if my watermelon's ripe? How do I know if cantaloupe's ripe? How do I know if my winter squash are ripe? And it's sometimes hard to know. You know, a watermelon's just a green thing sitting there maybe with stripes. And so several years ago, Dan Drost, our vegetable specialist, in combination with a few others, put together a fact sheet on how to harvest and store vegetables from your garden and how to know if they're ripe. And so, you know, the the most common ones I get are watermelon, which the watermelon, if you turn the watermelon over so that the ground side is up, you will see that there's a white patch on the bottom where it hasn't been exposed to sunlight. Right. When that white patch turns creamy yellow, so just a light clean creamy yellow, that's one indication. Then you need to follow the stem back. And within two or three inches of the stem, there will be a tendril. And if the tendril's green, it's not right. But if the tendril, tendril is brown, that is the other indication that the watermelon's ripe. So that's what you do for watermelon. Cantaloupe, the stem will fall off or be easily removed. You shouldn't, you should have a little divot where the stem was. Winter squash, you can put your fingernail into the squash fruit. And if the, if your fingernail bends over and sort of penetrating and the fruit's gone from kind of a shiny to more of a waxy matte look, then it's ready to go. And those are the ones we get the most questions on. Right. And there are pictures on this article that we're putting up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. But then how do we store some of these things? Well, and the most common things we store are onions and potatoes and then carrots and a few other root crops. The root crops can actually be left in the garden and you can cover them with grass mulch or straw along the sides and over the top. And then when snow hits, the ground won't freeze and you can go out and dig as much as you need. Potatoes and... Well, not potatoes. I'm talking carrots, parsnips. Oh, okay. Carrots and parsnips. I apologize. Okay. 
Yeah, potatoes you have to take out of the ground. Okay, okay. But the par- the carrots and parsnips are fine to just leave and covered with straw. Potatoes, if they were planted in late April to mid-May, should be ready. You can leave them there, but uh, some things you can do are just remove the tops and then let them sit for a few days and then carefully dig them. And you would let the skin sit at 70 degrees in your garage or indoors so that the skin kind of hardens off a bit. And you can carefully rub some of the dirt off, but the potatoes need to be stored at about 50 or 50, excuse me, 55 degrees. And that's going there. They'll hold most of the winter stored at that temperature. And onion storage? Onions are the same, and they should have come out of the ground a month ago, but if they're there, you'll know they're ready when the tops of the onions, the the leaves fold over, and they're left on the ground for about a week, or you can carefully pull them out and put them on a piece of plywood or something in your garage and let them sit for 10 days or two weeks, and then you'll know that they're cured when the skins take on that papery rattle you hear in the bags. Sure. And they also need to be stored at around 50 or 55 degrees. Right. You can tell I'm not, I haven't planted some of these things. I planted uh, potatoes one of the first years we were in our in our house because I just, we didn't have really a yard. I could plant whatever I wanted. Now where I don't have enough space for vegetables, uh, things like onions and potatoes, I just don't have the They're room so for. inexpensive that if you don't have a lot of room, they're two of the crops I, crops I recommend not growing because you can go to the grocery store and buy 10 pounds of potatoes for 3 or $4. Right. And so, you know, even tomatoes are that way, but they're easier to they can. They don't and taste the same. They don't. Ton, when you're so, talking about tomatoes especially. Yeah. I love those homegrown tomatoes. So uh, what else do we need to know? Storing food. Well, download the fact sheet and it'll tell you what to do with different things. And it will also do with spring harvested crops. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're wanting to like dry beans down or harvest them, it just gives you the ideal time to harvest and then how to store them. There does give some examples in here of how to wall in or mound up to store carrots and things. And then it also gives... um, how to make almost a storage bin out of a tin garbage can. I'm not saying that's bad at all, but it'll help you if you want to store stuff in the ground because Mm -hmm. the ground doesn't freeze. You can use a container like a garbage can and bury it into the ground up to the lid and use it to store vegetables over the winter. People used to do that with chest freezers and refrigerators. Old days. In the old days, you'd see a a (laughs) stovepipe on them buried into the ground, and so it gives some instructions for that, too. Right. This is a great fact sheet. It goes through all the fruits and vegetables, so you want to check it out. It's already up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We have a number of callers waiting now, coming back with your calls and questions. You can call us, 801-575-8255, text us, 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Uh, next listener, Ton, would like to know if fertilizer spikes are okay for trees. They are, but there's far better things out there. Okay. Um, the fertilizer spikes, you're supposed to put in a circle around the edge of the canopy of a tree. Mm-hmm. And for the roots to absorb the nutrients, they have to be in close proximity. And so they're, I mean, they're definitely, they work, but I prefer to use a lawn fertilizer for my trees. And I'll put that down sometime in mid-March and I'll just spread it out under the canopy. And because I have those pellets spread out under the tree, the tree has access to the nutrients in the spring when they're critical you know, a lot more access to that lawn fertilizer than they do to that individual spike at the edge. And so I just prefer to use a lawn fertilizer because it makes a lot of nutrients available very quickly in the spring when the roots are absorbing them. And later on in the summer when they're not so much, it's not as critical and you're not supposed to fertilize trees in the fall. Okay. Stuart would like to know, will quinclorac leach to tree roots and affect the trees? Looking at the image all-in-one lawn weed killer label, they don't have anything on application under trees, but it is soil active. And so you can't reseed for up to a month on this particular label. And so you need to refer to the particular product you're using, read it thoroughly, and see if there's any restrictions under trees. I would say to be cautious, you know, be, but you could use this one because there's no restrictions, but I'm still cautious. All right. Helen is on the line in West Valley. Good morning, Helen. What was your question? Uh, yes, this is the first time I've grown a zucchini plant, and I am just totally blown away at how uh, huge it, it turned out. And I have got an abundance of zucchinis growing out of my ears. I've been sharing them with neighbors making soups and zucchini bread and whatever. I wanted to know what was the best way I could uh, store these or freeze them uh, so I can make use of them for the winter. And the second question I have is I bought a also a tomato plant that's about five or six feet tall. It's kind of the tomatoes are the a shape of a heart, like they're orange and red stripes. And I noticed there's a green worm-like bug uh, uh, yeah, it's about two inches long. It, it's got like a little red tip on it, like a little horn. Uh, what I, what can I do to get rid of those? Or is it normal for those to be on that certain variety of plant? If they are destroying the plant, you can use a BT spray that's organic and you can harvest very soon after its use. 
that's one option. If there's just a few, you can pick them off and put them into soapy water, and they'll drown fairly quickly. Oh. So what can I do with the zucchinis then? Uh, can well, I depending those, on, oh, you can absolutely can. And so what my mom would do, she had a an attachment on her mix master that would shred the zucchini. Oh. And she just put it into Ziplocs, the freezer Ziplocs, and freeze uh-huh. it in a block. Mm-hmm. And That's she what I've done. would bring it out and thaw it out and then make zucchini bread. She was naughty and would sneak it into things like mashed potatoes and <laughs> spaghetti sauce and eggs. And sometimes if the zucchinis are too big, you need to cut away the part of the zucchini where the seeds are because they're too, they've got too much lignin and fiber in them and they don't process well and they're hard to eat. But if they're younger zucchini, you can just put the whole thing through. Right. Yeah, I haven't been letting them grow. Uh, I was told that anywhere from eight to nine inches long uh, to make sure to cut them off before they get to that uh, point with producing the seeds. And um, yeah, this that's kind of what I wanted to know what to do with them. And you gave me some great pointers on it. Um, I will have to do that. And I appreciate your uh, feedback on that. All right, Helen, thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, Let's stay with the phone lines because we're coming up on a break here. Let's go to Jonathan in Harriman. And good morning, Jonathan. What was your question this morning? Uh, Good morning. I have a small orchard in my home, and it's about, I have uh, 20 trees in there, but six of them are peach trees. They've been in about 15 years, and I want to start doing some renewal planting. There's one variety I want to get rid of and plant something else. So I'm wondering, can I plant something next to the existing trees and continue those until the new trees Get ready to you can. bear fruit. Uh, in other parts of the country, there's a condition called replant disease that can be problematic, but we don't seem to get a lot of it in Utah. One thing you may run into is if the trees have had a lot of peach tree borer or something in them, you may have be providing a ready access to the other tree. If you've maintained your trees well, then it shouldn't be a problem. How close can I plant to the existing tree and be okay with well, like, the Well, as long as you can already? reasonably dig. Um, if you're planning on taking the old tree out within two to three years, then you can put it within just a couple feet and probably not have detriment. You just need to make sure that the new tree has sufficient sunlight. Okay. That's, that's a good point. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton wants to know when they should fertilize their burning bushes. In the spring, uh, mid-March, and again in late May or early June with 16-16-16 or 16-16-8. Okay. Brett is on the line in Murray. Good morning, Brett. What was your question? Good morning. We have a, a 25-year-old Idahoan locust. It's about, I'd say, about 60 feet tall. Just in the last couple of days, we've noticed uh, in, uh, holes in the trunk and an insect crawling on the bark. It, look, it sort of looks like a wasp or a hornet. Um, I haven't seen them fly, but my wife says she thinks she saw them flying. So we don't know what, what they are and what to do. It's a clear wing, clear wing moth, and they're a wasp mimic. They're really moths. And what you're seeing is black locust borer, and it can take the tree down in two or three years if you don't treat. Instead of going through all the gory details, USU does have a fact sheet on black locust borer 
that you can download and it will give you some timings for spraying, but you need to do probably using permethrin spray as much as the tree as you can every two to three weeks. And for, I think it's in the first half of the summer, but it'll have the timing in there, but you're seeing black locust borer. So just do an internet search of USU and black locust borer, B-O-R-E-R, and it'll give you all the gory details. Okay. Thanks for your help. Thank you for listening this morning. Next listener, Tan, wants to know when they should prune their apricot tree, and do you have any pruning tips? My pruning tip is is to give your pruning shears <laughs> Put it away to a significant season. other and hide them and prune them in mid-March. The only things you prune out of fruit trees right now are dead and diseased wood or wood that is snapped from f- too much fruit. Okay. And then when they do, when we do come up with that in mid-March, they should go where to get some tips on how to do that? Uh, There's lots of videos on YouTube. USU has videos out on YouTube. Then Conservation Garden Park, if you sign up early enough, has free pruning classes for fruit trees. Many garden centers will offer free or $10 classes for pruning. So there's a number of areas that you can get advice and experience for pruning. All right. Our phone lines are open. You can call us at 801-575-8255. Text us your questions at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.